As we do each week, uh, we do these all-of-life interviews. They're very encouraging. We, we, look, we interview people from the congregation and basically ask how, um, how the good news is shaping their life, whether that be in work or recreation or any aspect of life. Well, today, since we're celebrating baptisms, we thought it would be good in our all-of-life interview time if we had someone share the story of how, of how Jesus uh, pursued her and uh, shaped her and saved her. So we're going to have uh, Michelle Napolitan come up, and um, you can give her a hand. Thank you so much for doing this interview. Thank you, Jim. It's an honor. Great. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. Excuse me. Well, like Jim said, my name is Michelle Napolitan, and I'm from Detroit, if you can't tell from my accent or how tough I look. Um, <laughs> I uh, moved to Phoenix seven years ago because I couldn't handle the winters in Detroit anymore. And I'm an only child. I have two amazing parents, a mother that lives in Florida and a dad that lives in Georgia. And if that wasn't enough, he, the Lord has blessed me with two amazing step-parents. And um, I have some phenomenal grandparents that live where grandparents live in Sun City West. <laughs> and um, they've been married 58 years. True blessing in my life. And I'm a financial analyst for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Arizona and a yoga instructor. I, quite, I don't quite understand that combination either. But, um, and I will be celebrating my first Redemption Tempe anniversary next month. That's great. That's great. That's good. Um, tell us a little bit about um, what, what was your view, your understanding of God before you came to know Jesus? Well, I was baptized as a baby in the Lutheran church, and when I would visit my grandparents on the weekend, they would take me to Sunday school. In the summers, they'd take me to vacation Bible school, which was the best. I would go to one if they had it here for adults. It was so <laughs> awesome. But anyway, um, and I, I was kind of your textbook classic case of going to college, studying mathematics and philosophy, and questioning the existence of God and doubting. So unfortunately, I fell away, and I began to, I guess, consider myself agnostic for many years, not fully disbelieving, but I figured I needed it to be proven to me. And I thought that if you needed a God, you were weak, and it led to apathy. I felt I was a very strong, capable, intelligent individual. I didn't need any, I, there was no room for God in my life, mm -hmm. and it just showed how arrogant and ignorant I was. Yeah. Well, tell us about um, the process, the process that God used to, to draw you to himself over the last year. So, our God is a very ironic God. He used the very thing that... Um, I turned my back, used to turn my back towards him. He lured me back in with, and that was logic in the study of philosophy. When I went to study yoga teacher training, um, we had to study philosophy, and it was the first time I was exposed to God again. Of course, not the Christian God, but it's the first introduction. And also, that's where I met my first Christian friend in the yoga program, ironically. And she, um, she began shepherding me just slowly and my life just kept crumbling because all of my saviors were either in the world or within myself. I created my own God within myself, and of course that failed. It kept crumbling. So she kept pulling me along, and she invited me here, and I finally came at the lowest point in my life, which was last year. 
and I was about as scared and nervous to walk through these doors as it is to speak in front of hundreds of people about your life story. (laughs) Even though I knew people here already through her, my friend. So, um, but I came and I heard for the first time in a a logical sense to me, Ricardo speak about the good or what I call the sweet news of Mm. Jesus Christ. And I just started praying to God the Father. I, I know I need the Savior please bring him into my heart, into my life. And a couple months later in January, the very best day of my life, he saved me. And I was like, when is the next baptism? I cannot wait. (laughs) It wasn't for another three months. And I thought, oh, no big deal. That's just a formality. But I was very wrong about that. What a beautiful celebration it was. And just to mark my commitment and my relationship with my new savior, Um, I came bursting out of the water, and everybody in my path got a big wet hug. Hmm. It was, God willing, I ever marry someday. Sorry, future husband, that was the day I was saved was the best day of my life, hands down. (laughs) My wedding will never compete with that. Hmm. But, um, you know, I've been reflecting back on what God has done, and I could fill up four sermons with what he's done in my life in the last eight months, but I'm sure Ricardo has a better plan for today, so I'll keep it to a few minutes. Um, He basically, in short, God captivated my heart, and he just has planted in me a deep and passionate love for my Savior, and I can proudly say, standing here, which is something I thought I would never say in my entire life, that I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. And I can't stop loving him. So I finally got the proof that I required in Jesus Christ. That's really good. Thank you. Um, yeah, let's celebrate that. So, typically we take a moment to pray for whatever vocation people are in. But today we are going to pray and thank God for the sweet news. We're going to thank him for rescuing us and pray that he would save many more and show people the sweetness of the gospel. God, we thank you uh, that we have much to celebrate today. In this room stand people who were, in, uh, who were in darkness, but you interrupted with your light. You rescued us. And God, we just thank you for that, that we thank you for all that we have to celebrate in this room, that we get to see the glory of God through Jesus And we pray that you would use us, use the other churches around for your kingdom to come and to draw many more people to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We guys thank them again. Thanks again, Michelle. Last, last service was the first time that I ever heard Michelle's story. Now, I knew Michelle, and I knew that she's been here uh, for not that long, and I knew she was a new Christian, and you saw the picture there of her being baptized, um, really excited, hands up, which is awesome. Um, and I was moved. And, you know, she's saying, oh, I have another agenda or a better plan today. Um, if I would have known that story, right, what I would have planned is, hear, you guys hear her story, me come up and say, let's go home. 
right? Because, I mean, honestly, that's, that's why we do what we do, is that we try to be instruments in a Redeemer's hand in which God begins to work uh, through people. And so that, that's just super encouraging, especially for us as a congregation where we don't do a whole lot of testimonies. To just hear that is, is pretty sweet, and I think it makes sense on a day like baptism. So really, really, really encouraged by that. Um, if you're your first time here, my name is Ricardo. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I usually do the bulk of the teaching. Um, however, the last couple weeks I've been gone. Um, I was in Albuquerque for a wedding two Sundays ago that I did of a couple that, that goes to church here and then um, got back from, oh, yeah, we were there. It was a b- balloon fiesta. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. That's like what they're known for. We saw it and then it was over. So, uh, and then uh, we got back home, and then the next morning, early in the morning, we flew to Hawaii. I think I told you guys we were going to go to Hawaii, and my in-laws were taking us, and I told you about my, my oldest son's just ridiculous idolatry with the city of Flagstaff as if that was going to be better than Hawaii. He totally understands now, right? I mean, the dude was in tears when we were leaving, like, I don't want to leave Hawaii, and I'm like, I was in tears saying, I don't want to leave Hawaii. I was calling the pastors, like, can we bring redemption Hawaii? I think... I think God's calling us, right? So, <laughs> so it was really, really a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun for us to be with our family and whatnot. And so it was, it was interesting. I don't think I've been away um, two consecutive Sundays. I feel like I've been gone for a month. And so it's been real fun for me being back, especially on a Sunday and just getting a chance to sit in. Um, I, hadn't, I didn't go to church for two weeks, confession. And so it's good to kind of, <laughs> it's good to be here. Like Blakeman's leading in worship. I'm like, oh, I miss this. You're such a good singer, right? I mean, everything's just been really good uh, for me. Um, if you have your Bibles, let's uh, jump to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, this is a baptism Sunday for us, and so we're going to have the opportunity. Uh, we do what we call span- spontaneous baptisms, and we'll see what happens, right? Um, and some of you know you'll be baptized. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. And keep it raised high, and then someone will be able to get you a copy of God's Word. And just keep it raised. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep the copy that we're handing out. This is uh, our gift to you so that you can have and have a copy of God's Word. Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 18 is what we're going to look at uh, this morning uh, as we continue our series on Romans. Uh, what was interesting, as you turn there, what was interesting about our trip to Hawaii was um, not only just being in Hawaii, which was amazing, but it was being with family while we were there, being with my in-laws, who I love, being with my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law. And I've shared with you before how they adopted a, a boy years ago, and now they have um, his biological sister. They have the same mom, and they are just able to adopt her. And a little bit about me, I, don't, I never wanted girls. Like when Holly first got pregnant with Noah, I prayed for a boy. And then when she got pregnant again and she wanted a girl, I prayed for a boy. And we got two boys, right? So, you know. Uh, <laughs> and so we have these two boys. And, and when I was with baby Nell, who's now 18 months, and I haven't spent a whole lot of time with her. It was my first time being with her. Um, I just, I all of a sudden said, I want a girl now. I told Holly, I want a little girl. I, 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 I want this little girl, right? And even... Even my boys, I was just, j- just joking around with them saying, hey, Noah, Eli, do you guys want a little brother or a little sister? And Noah goes, I want a little nail. And I'm like, we can make this happen, right? <laughs> because if I had pictures, I'd show you her older brother. They have the same mom, but he's, his biological father is white. So he's just a, like a, just a white kid where she's biracial. And my kids are biracial. And I'm thinking, this fits, right? And so... <laughs> But it, it, didn't, it didn't go that way. And I said, I was telling Holly, we need to have another kid. We need to. We have to have a girl. And she goes, Ricardo, don't you understand? Like, you don't get a chance to pick. And I'm like, I picked the first two, right? So why not? Why not? <laughs> 
Lord, <laughs> right? So there's, there's, there, but what the beauty of this was is um, we're sitting down with Jeremiah and Emily, that's my brother-in-law and his wife, and they were talking about the family and the situation, the circumstance of where she was in before she was able to be adopted. And just hearing this circumstance just makes the story better. Because we know, like, in these particular circumstances, statistically, like, where her life would have ended potentially, right? But, but the way that they were able to adopt her and have her now, she's got a totally different life. And not because she was looking for a father. I mean, she was too young to really know what was going on, but because she had a father that she didn't even know that came looking for her. And when you see Nell and JT, or, and you see Nell and JT and their parents, and you see Nell and Jeremiah, you see there's, there's, no, there's no doubt that she's never going to have to do anything for her daddy to love her. She's never going to do anything for him to love her any less. That already he loves and his affections is for this little girl and that her whole life will be shaped by his love, by his discipline, by the boundaries that he sets up for her because, because she is his daughter and who he absolutely loves. There has been a change here. Now, don't get me wrong. There's some consequences from the life that she previously would have had, but not nothing that compares to the love that she has from Jeremiah. From the past few weeks, that's what Paul has been communicating with us, is that for week one, week two, all the way to about week 18, we saw that we belonged to someone else, that we were born in sin, that we were in Adam, and that death reigned because of that, and our circumstances dictated for us a life that ended in death. But there was a newer power that came in, a reign of grace is what we learned about last week when Tyler taught that this new power came in in Christ Jesus and now we are wrapped into the love of the Father, that we are in union with Christ Jesus, his Son, and what is said of Jesus is now said of us. Now, we have, we have consequences from our old life, for sure. Tyler said it this way last week, that we are dead to sin, but sin is not dead to us, and so we have to draw a line. But we are not in that family anymore. We have our Father, and his love dictates and permeates and shapes the rest of our life. It's in that reign of grace and in that same vein that when we pick up the scriptures this, this morning, the Apostle Paul begins to talk about what happens as we live out this life. Meaning no longer are we under slavery of sin, but we have a new identity in Christ Jesus. And so three things that Paul points out here is one, that we have a new master, and it's God our Father. And because he's our new master, we have a new motivation. And so this obedience that we have as Christians it is obedience out of love, and so it's a new motivation, and lastly, a new mission. So a new master, a new motivation, and a new mission. What, what I want to be able to do before we jump into the text is explain something here at the last verse, um, the last three words here. It says that we become slaves of righteousness. And I want to explain um, slavery here so we don't get tripped up on this, because if you're like me, um, every time I, when I became a Christian, I'd come to the scriptures, and there's certain things I'd read and go, oh, I'm not really sure if I like, like that, right? And so whenever you hear like, you become a slave of anything, you're like, oh, slavery doesn't sound good, right? That, that hasn't really worked out for people in our country before, right? Like historically, that's not usually a good thing, but we have to understand that slavery, when the Bible uses it, it's much different than slavery as we think about it as Americans. Um, that is antebellum, pre-Civil War slavery, where we went and took people from another country and then forced them to do things. Um, in the Roman Greco world, the time in which Paul wrote this letter to this church in Rome, that many people were slaves, or majority of the people had at least been slaves at some point. But it was all not because of forced labor, but because of, because of choice. 
that they had a debt that they couldn't pay or they would hire themselves to work for someone, but it was, they could leave, they could purchase their freedom. It was nothing similar to the slavery we think about. It was all about choice. And so Paul begins to highlight that, that you choose now to have this new master and in him change your motivations for obedience. And then now you are carried into this mission of your father who loves you because you're no longer in the old family of Adam. And so that's where we pick up in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. What Paul does here in verse 15 is the same question that he asked in chapter 1 in the same chapter. Excuse me, in chapter, verse 1 of the same chapter. And the first one dealt with, are we to continue to sin so that grace looks good? And Paul goes, by no means. And this time he's saying, so now in regards to verse 14, which says now there's a reign of grace and the law can never save us. There would be Jewish people in that audience that are saying, okay, because they looked at the law as something that would redeem them. And now that grace says the law can't redeem, they're saying, so should we just do what we want to do? And Paul says the same thing, by no means. Like, I can't communicate to you how um, serious he is by saying no way. Like, I thought the translation best should say, heck no. But there were some who thought that was a little much. But I thought maybe in the, maybe in the Greek it says that, right? No way. He's saying ultimately grace changes you. Grace doesn't just get you into heaven. Grace is not just like a get out of hell free card, like, you know, skip this, go here. No, it changes your entire life. And in the same way that that my niece now has a new circumstance in this family, she's not, like, her dad is not just saying, yeah, I adopted her, meaning she's no longer in that situation, and so she's kind of in this neutral lane now, and we don't know what we're going to do with her. It's like, no, I adopted her. She's in my family now. Like, she's my daughter. Like, this changes everything. And so Paul continues to say, um, verse 16, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either sin, which leads to death, or um, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Paul leaves no room for neutrality. Right? He's saying, either you're going to give yourself to sin, which leads to death. And that's even for those of you who are in this room who would say that you're Christian. It's not just saying for those of us who are in this room that are not Christian. He goes, even as a Christian, when you understand grace, if you continue to sin, not that you would fall away from salvation, but you, you, you won't experience the enjoyment of God, that it brings death. Or you can give yourself to obedience to things, righteousness. He's saying you, 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 it's one or the other. Um, I think Blakeman said it early. He used Bob Dylan, right? which I thought was interesting because last hour I didn't hear him do the call to worship and he quoted the same thing that I was going to quote in the sermon. Spirit, right? (laughs) It's like Bob Dylan, C.S. Lewis, the Apostle Paul, right? Well, in his song it says you got to, you got to serve, you got to serve somebody. You, you do, and he, he says in there, either you're going to serve the Lord or you're going to serve the devil. Like, you've got to serve somebody. And the thing about sin, what sin does, is sin gives the illusion of freedom. That freedom is self-autonomy, meaning that you could be an autonomous person. What that means is that you could be a law unto yourself. And, and that's the lie of sin. Like, you could just be free. And it's like, no, you're not free. That's not free. That brings death. But we think, we think that way. When we heard Michelle's story, she was saying, I had all these saviors of which I was one of them. I looked inward. Do you see that's the, the problem in this, in this world? That when you read the first time that sin enters in this world, it's Eve and it's Adam. And then the serpent, who was the most crafty of animals, Satan himself, begins to trick them. But he doesn't tempt them with eating the fruit. He doesn't tempt them with something else. This is what he said. Did God really say that? 
Meaning, God, he says, God, if God knew that if you would eat this fruit, you would become like him. Meaning, you would know what's best for you. You don't need him. Just be you. So you, we, what happened is when even Adam ate the fruit, they separated themselves from God because they wanted to be God. They thought that self-autonomy would be it. And what did it lead to? It led to death. And sin is not just doing wrong. Sin is not just disobeying. It's not just bad behavior. Sin is holistic. We give ourselves to it. We give our passions to it, our resources to it, our thought process to it, our money to it. And Paul says it leads to death. And some of you are experiencing that, like it's sucking you dry because that's what sin does. It takes. But he says, but when you have a new master and you give yourself to him, obedience leads to righteousness. And so when Paul begins to talk about this new master, he's saying, you're no longer in Adam. Like, you're done with that. You're no longer dead in sin. You're alive now. You're no longer someone who's looking inward. You can look to Jesus. He goes, something has decisively happened. There's a new kingdom power that is broken in into your life. And so you have a new master. And here's what Paul says in the very beginning of verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Paul does what Paul often does in his letters, is that he's talking about something, and then he all of a sudden abrupts and prays. He goes, thanks be to God. Like, all of a sudden he goes, but thanks be to God, you are no longer a slave to sin, but then now you have a new master, and he just starts praising him. And the reason why Paul begins praising God is because he knows God. He knows who he is. He knows the intention that God has for his people and for this world. And Paul can't help but praise. And when we understand our new master, we begin to praise him because we understand who he is and his intentions for us. It's like this. Um, there was an article that I read uh, about a year ago, and it was explaining, uh, this lady was explaining how she worked for another lady in her company. And what it says is, it was titled, You Made Me Feel Like Superman. And so she wrote her, her former employer this letter saying, When I worked for you, I felt like Superman. And she lists some things of why she felt like Superman working. And one of them, it says, You created an environment in which I love to work in. You created an environment where it says that you removed all the crap. Like you just got rid of it. And another thing you did is you didn't just delegate tasks, but you delegated power. So the third thing you did is you treated every single one of us the same in the sense that you saw what was in us that we couldn't see and you were able to bring it out. Like those three things, like you got rid of the crap. You didn't just tell us things to do. You empowered, you gave yourself to us and you saw something in us that no one else can see, including ourselves, and you were able to bring it out. Paul says, praise be to God because he knows the, the kingdom that I'm in now, the obedience that flows from this kingdom it all is about the one who is the master. The one who is master is not some ruler who's from afar. The one who's master is not some dictator's throwing down laws. The one who is master is not some cold judge. The one who is master is loving father. Loving father. And the same way that my niece goes to her father, does Jeremiah have rules for her? Absolutely. Does he have boundaries for her? Absolutely. Will he have instructions for her? Absolutely. But first and foremost, he's a loving father. 
And when you understand that that is the God of the Bible, a loving father, you understand he does what this employer did. That God comes into our life and he removes the crap. Sin that's just taken over us. Sin in our mind and our hearts and our lives and our thought process. But he comes and he forgives us and he washes us with the blood of Christ Jesus and renews us by the Holy Spirit and just says, I will remove it. That it won't be there anymore. And then when it comes to him not just delegating tasks and saying, here's things you need to do in order to earn my love, but God delegates power, meaning that God himself by nature is a giver, that this God, this master that we have, this father, by nature God is a giver. Here's what I mean, that before of all eternity, before creation, God was giving himself. It's called the self-giving nature of God. The father constantly giving love to the son and the son to the father and the spirit to each other. And then out of an overflow of that love, our God is an outgoing God and he creates this world. And then after he creates man, even though man sins against him, our God comes to redeem and he creates a community for the world and that he gave them his law and his wisdom. And though they could not continue to live for him, God gave himself. Jesus came to be for us our redeemer and that when Christ was resurrected, what did he do? He gave us his spirit that God is constantly given. And now those who have faith in Christ Jesus are empowered by this Holy Spirit, removes the crop of sin and empowers us by his spirit. And lastly, this lady said, you sought in us stuff we couldn't see in ourselves and that no one else can see, but you were able to draw it out. That's what God begins to do. You see, our problem sometimes is that we fundamentally think that what we lost in the garden was our ability to obey or our ability to do good things. But fundamentally what we lost in the garden is we lost God. And we lost what it means to reflect him. The Bible tells us that we were created in his image. And that image we are still created in, but sin begins to affect it, not obliterate it. And then what God does through the power of the gospel and the working of the Holy Spirit now is he's restoring that image that we can best reflect him. And so now he begins to bring out by the spirit of Christ and looking to Jesus that every single member of his body, that is the church, that he begins to bring out and draw out things that God had created us to be and created us to do in a way that brings brings glory to him that we're no longer looking inward. Paul says, praise be to God that I have a new master and this new master is my father. I'll do anything for him. Amen. That's it. He said, this, this is just good. I, I love that Paul, Paul was a charismatic pastor. I think he was a black pastor. He would just kind of go and he's praise be to God. And everyone would respond. It'd be great. Sing forever. Right. Paul says that not, not only do we have, that, that was a joke, he was Hebrew, and just in case you guys were wondering, it's ethnicity. <laughs> so he, he's, he's saying not only do we have a new master, but we have new motivations. Here, here's what he says, and um, continuing verse 17. He says, um, after he says, but thanks be to God, that you were once slaves to sin, God did something, have now become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Meaning, now there's obedience, there's, there's this obedience, there's this new motivation for obedience. Now, when it comes to obedience, many of us who are Christians or those of you who are not Christians, when we think about Christian religion or the Christian church, obedience becomes one of those things where it just seems like this archaic word that we don't understand. And so uh, some Christians believe that we obey so that we don't lose God. Right? Like we do things, we want to do all the right things, we look through the scriptures and find all the imperatives, what it says to do, all the thou shalt and thou shalt nots, 
right? What if that's not a word? But like we, we want to we wanna do those things because we don't want to lose God. Like we're afraid if we, if we still wrestle with this, this particular sin or if we c- commit this particular action that like God's going to just like, kind of like kick us out, you know? Um, and, and there's nothing worse than being in a family where you think that you're going to do something and you're going to lose your family. Um, the other, a couple weeks ago, I was talking to my oldest son and um, he had done something. I can't remember what it was. He had done something he couldn't do. And I, look, you know, I try to talk to my kids at their level. So I can, you know, I kneel down or I lean over and I said, hey, um, if you're going to continue to live in this house, you got to do these, you know, you can't do that or whatever. And he, and he just starts crying. I'm thinking, like, what are you crying for? And he goes, where am I going to live? <laughs> and I'm like, you're going to live here. He goes, you said I can't live here. And I was like, no, no. I said if you, no. Okay, I, mean, right, I did kind of say that. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what I meant if you did it again. No, it's like, it's like, some, like some ways, like in this way that my son misinterpreted me, I think, I think we misinterpret the Bible. That obedience is something that God set up and says, here's the deal. I want you to be able to obey all these things. And then if you don't, or you do it so many times, then you're going to have to find somewhere to live. You have to find somewhere else because I can't have you. And that's not the gospel. That's not good news. Another way why Christians obey is not because they're afraid to lose him, but because they want to impress him. That we want to look at the scriptures and we want to impress God, we want to impress people, and honestly, we want to impress ourselves. We want to be able to look at the scripture and go, look how holy I am. Praise be to God, right? And we offer our religious activities and duties, and we give it to God and say, look, right? And, and what happens is it produces superiority or inferiority, right? We become superior because we've, we're able to actually live up to whatever standards we see, and we're able to obey, and so we feel good about ourselves. But man, we think we're so much better than other people. It's called self-righteousness. And on the flip side, if, we are, if we're struggling and we can't obey, now we feel inferior to everyone else because we can't do um, and our, when it comes to our relationship with God, we gauge it that way. And so if someone says, how is your walk with the Lord? You go, really good because you've been doing really good. Or man, okay because you're doing okay. Or really bad because you're not doing that good. And, and somehow you think that if you just did good, then God would say, now, now you've impressed me. Wow, what a, what a good Christian. And we misinterpret it. That too is not good news. But when Paul begins talking about obedience, it's something different. Like, imagine if we didn't obey God because we had to be afraid of losing him. And imagine that we, 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 we didn't obey God because we were trying to impress him. But imagine if we obeyed God because he loves us. Like, imagine if we obeyed God because we loved him. And we loved him because he first loved us. Like, that would change everything. I don't, I don't work, I don't obey, and we don't work to try to earn approval or acceptance. Like, we work from his acceptance. We work from his approval. We don't work to try to impress him to gain his love. We have his love. We work out of his love. When Paul here says that we become obedient from the heart, he's saying there's a fundamental change, there's transformation that has happened. And now as Christians, when we begin to obey, our obedience that we see the imperatives of scriptures is not just to do it because somehow we're in a contract with God. Like he gave his son Jesus, I have to obey. It's kind of how this contract works. No, it's not a contractual relationship. It's a covenant. He loves us. And I love him. The same thing Michelle says. She goes, listen, I'm in love with Jesus. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. His life has absolutely changed my life that I want to look like, resemble everything of who he is 
because he loves me, and that changes the game. It becomes obedience from the heart. Many of us have had the opportunity of working for incredible uh, people or working in a certain organization that you've liked. Um, All the people here say that, that work with us here. (laughs) <laughs> you, you, you like it for whatever. You may not make the most money. You may have to drive super far to get there, but you so love the environment that's set up because whoever it is is your boss or whatnot. You love them and, and that you just, you want to work there. Um, this happened a few, well, now maybe a decade ago when I was in college. We had this deal where after practice, we would, um, they had this thing called training table where you would eat. It was awesome. You'd have all this food there and you would eat. And there'd be a TV screen there, a bunch of TV screens where you'd watch ESPN or something. And let me just give you the context of this particular day. We just had a meeting with our coach where he'd got like 20 players on the team and we were talking about football and stuff. And our coach was a good guy, but we didn't have like a relationship with him. And I remember him talking and he was saying like, you know, what I look like, you know, what I look, when I look at you guys and your relationship to me and my relationship with you, I think it's like a friendship. Don't you guys think that? And then, like, our, like, star player goes, no, I think it's like a business, right? It was awkward. It was like going to a girl and being like, this is my girlfriend, and her being like, no. (laughs) Don't even know you, right? It was just so awkward. And so we just had this distant relationship with him. Now, we come in afterwards and start eating, and there's this thing on TV on ESPN. They're doing this story on Pete Carroll who now is a a football coach for the Seattle Seahawks, but at the time was a coach at USC. And they were interviewing all these players, players who were Polynesian, who were white, who were black, who were rich kids from Orange County, uh, poor kids from LA, and just all different social economics, races, and every single one they 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 would talk about, they would say, tell us about your coach. To a T, we love him. We love him. I'll do anything for him. One kid gets on there, tells his story, and the family comes from, and he just goes, when I think about Coach Carroll, starts crying, and he goes, he's a father I never had. All of us are looking at this going, this is, <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> like, you know, it's like, I start crying. I don't even know him. I was like, yeah, he's my father too. <laughs> start making plays for them. <laughs> there, there, there was a sense where they were like, we'll do, we'll do it because like, we love him. Okay, when you understand your father's love, when you understand that God has always loved Jesus, always loved him, for, forever, for eternity past, he's always loved him, and everything that he has, he's given to Jesus, he loves him, and that out of that love, he gives us Jesus so that we may share in that same exact love. When you understand that he has established in Christ his kingdom and that it's broken in, even though sin is still here, that one day he will fully consummate his kingdom. And now he's called the people that he's gathered together, called the church to be about that mission. Now, obedience that you have is something where you can sit with tears, with joy and say, I do this because I love him. And he loves me. And Paul says, this is good news. That's a totally new motivation. Because you have a father who's your master, your motivation now is looking to the good news that is given to you in his son. Here's what Paul says here in verse 17. He says, we become obedient of the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed. That standard of teaching is the gospel. It is good news. And you say, is good news something you do or is it something you believe? Listen, hear me. The gospel is something that is received passively. God does this in you but it's lived actively. You receive it, something God gives you by grace, but it's something we live out, we embody as a full community, the good news of who our God is and what our God is doing. 
If you want a picture of what this is like, it's looking at the life of Jesus Christ. When Jesus is here on this earth, he says things like, I can only do what I see my father doing. Like, man, I, my strength doesn't come from me. And it's like, wow, you're the second person of the Trinity. Because no, I look at my father. And so we now look at the scriptures, understanding that Jesus has revealed to us the Father. We see Christ's life, and so we find ourselves going and pouring over the scripture, not for religious duty, because we want to know him. Our strength comes from him. It's good news. And the other thing that Jesus says is, you know, Jesus not only just looks to his Father, but after Jesus is baptized, when you read through the Gospels and you see Jesus being baptized, you have the Father speaking, saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then you have Jesus being baptized, and you have this moment of the Trinity, but the Spirit comes down in the form of a dove, right? And after that is when Jesus does his ministry. But Jesus' Jesus's whole ministry is led by the Spirit. And so when it comes to having a new motivation, it is us looking to Jesus in the Scripture, us looking to his Father who's become our Father, and us being filled and led by the Spirit. That we, this, this obedience is not how hard we can work, but it's how hard he's worked on our behalf and how he is formed in us as a body of believers. A total new motivation because a totally new master. And then lastly, with this motivation, we have a totally new mission. If you read with me the last verse here in verse 18, it says, And having been set free, God did something in us. Having been set free from sin, we have become slaves of righteousness. Meaning when you understand what your father has done for you as your master, you see what Christ has done for you. You embody this good news. It says now we've been set free. Meaning God has taken the shackles off of us. That we no longer have to walk in sin, but now grace reigns. And we've said this already, is that what was, what was lost in the garden primarily was God. And now we are one with him. And so grace in itself is this undeserved gift of the Father giving us in Christ the love of the Father, and then now the Spirit wrapping us up into that life. And so when we understand that, we now, like we desire to live for God. We desire to do whatever it is that God has called us to do. We can sit like these football players going, I love them, and whatever he asks me to do, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it because I love him. I see where he's taking history. I see that the kingdom of God is coming. And so practically speaking, it's like, how do we become slaves of righteousness? One, we become slaves of righteousness, one, by trusting in God and giving, himself, or giving ourselves to him. And the way that we live that out, um, three helpful ways for us to be able to do that. One is re- realizing the imago Dei, which is just the Latin word for the image of God. What sin did is sin began to affect that. We said this. What the gospel is doing in the good news of Christ is he's redeeming that. One writer talks about it like a mirror. You can have a shattered mirror. That mirror is still able to reflect. But the more you piece those, piece, those, uh, those broken pieces together, the better it can reflect whatever it is reflecting. And when it comes to the image of God, the Imago Dei, and you sin has thrown a baseball at it, and it shattered it. And then what God is doing in Christ, what God is doing by his love as your father, What he's doing by the role of the Holy Spirit constantly renewing you is that he's piecing it back together that you may best reflect him. And so being a slave to righteousness is not just being moral. It's nothing less than that. It's not just saying nice things. It's nothing less than that. And ways that is helpful for us as we grow is one, it's imaging or reflecting God back to God. And that's called worship. That in sin, we gave ourselves holistically to sin. We gave our thoughts, our money, our energies to whatever sin said. 
And now as we're being redeemed in Christ Jesus, that now we give our thoughts, our creativity, our, our, um, our actions, our memory, whatever it may be, our resources, our money, we give it back to God in worship and everything we do to the praise of his glorious name. So re- re- imaging God to himself, that's worship. The other way we do it is we reflect God to each other that we tell people about Jesus, we share with each other of our resources, we encourage one another, we confess with one another, we love one another, that's community. So God the God is worship, and reflecting God to each other, that's community, that's what the church is. And this new mission that we have is reflecting God to the world. It's reflecting God to the world in our vocation that God has given us, that we live in such a way, and we work in such a way that shows forth our God owns this world, he's gonna redeem it, and we're just showing you what it's like. That the church in itself becomes this kind of preview of a movie to the movie that is going to happen in the new heavens and the new earth that people around us may say, you know what? I think I want to see that. That when you heard Michelle's story, she says, I had this friend for four years and I met some other people and then finally they showed me this preview. I haven't seen the full things, but I thought, I want that. That it happens in our neighborhoods that we begin to love and serve our geographical neighbors. That when we see injustice in this world, that we reflect what is God's heart? What are God's thoughts? What is he doing in this? And so we push back the effects of the fall in all areas. And so slave to righteousness is not just being morally good people. Our issue was not that we were just morally bad people. Our issue is that we gave ourselves to the kingdom of Satan and sin. We've been redeemed from that. And now we give ourselves to the kingdom of God in Christ Jesus, led by the Spirit, saying, our God reigns. Amen? And we reflect this God, and we show the world, he is good news, or as Michelle said, he's sweet news. I feel weird saying that, but he's sweet, right? And we love him. Let's, uh, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for, for reconciling us. We thank you, Lord, that When we hear words like master, Lord, it seems like some cold dictator running around in the sky waiting for us to do something wrong. But when we understand the love that you have for us, Father, it couldn't be anything further from the truth. But Lord, you don't just wave around adoption papers and say that something's legal. But Father, you pick us up and you hold us. And your spirit testifies with our spirit. We are sons, we are daughters. You give us a completely new motivation in which we can look to Jesus. And Jesus is good news. God, you are good news. Lord, we ask that we would sense the presence of your love in all that we do and all that we say and all that we think. God, we pray as we look at the mission, Lord, that the church has zero mission other than your mission. That is to redeem and to restore. So, Lord, in your name and in your power, Lord, help us to be restorers of marriages. Help us to be restorers of communities. Help us to be restorers of hope and pointing to Jesus. Help us to be restorers of beauty and so we create art. Help us to be restorers of relationships so we befriend people. Help us to be restorers of grace so, Lord, we preach Jesus. Him crucified and him resurrected. God, we pray for us as a people, God, that we would live into your glory, that people would be able to look at our lives and see what their lives would be like if they trusted in Jesus. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.